to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Well, thanks for uh, collecting the offering, Ashes. I've got a very simple message for us this morning. I want to set the course for, for the rest of this year. And um, I can talk to you a lot about how great God is, and it's a year of immeasurably more, and boast to you about how amazing God is. But I was just thinking about Christmas, and uh, I've got five kids, and uh, my children brought me gifts. That's amazing. They brought me gifts. And of course, uh, these weren't extravagant gifts. They are not like your Rolex watch or a brand new car or send me on around the world uh, tour, you know, because they are still young. I believe one day when they grow up, they will send me on a round-the-world tour, and they will buy me a nice watch, they will get me a good suit. But see, that's not the point. It is not the, it is not the a price that they pay. It is basically the heart that they have towards their parents. And I'm so blessed to know that at 10 years old, that they are buying me a simple gift. And even my daughter drew a card at five for my wife. And these are little things that bless the Father's heart. On my birthday this year, uh, I followed the example of Bill Johnson. If you even know Bill, uh, he's so contented in what uh, he has in life that on his birthday, he actually bought his children and, and his grandchildren presents. I thought to myself, that's a great practice. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll, on my birthday, I went shopping with my wife and uh, I bought all my children a gift and it blessed my heart. And I realized then that Acts chapter 20 and verse 35 is a truth and it's a reality. The Bible says, in everything I did, Paul said, I show you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, I believe this is the Father's heart for all of us this morning, that it is more blessed to live a life of generosity than to receive from the Lord. Freely we receive from Him, freely we give. So what's my desire for our church? What's my desire for my own life this year? It is basically to live a year of generosity. I entitled my message this morning to our church, 365 Days of Generosity. 365 days. We've lost two days, but no problem. We can make up for it next uh, in 21-7 and on the first and the second. But the point is this. I believe it's God's desire for all of us to live generous lives. Amen? It's God's desire for us to live generous lives. Imagine a church that is radically generous radically generous, that we are radical in the way we give of ourselves, not just our money, but our time, our talent, our effort. Someone wrote our torso, you know, I mean using our muscles to serve. I mean, imagine using everything that God has given to us uh, to serve Him and to serve His people. So let's talk about that for a few moments. What, what exactly is, is generosity? What exactly? The word derives from the Latin word, uh, which means of noble birth. Do you know that? That to be generous means that you're of noble birth. As I was preparing for this message, I realized that 
That's who we are. The Bible tells us in at least three places, but in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, that we are kings and priests. When we're born again, when we say yes to Jesus, when we surrender our hearts to Him, we are born into nobility. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a king and you're a priest. And it is in our nature to be generous. Amen? As believers, we are born again to be generous. So to live a stingy life and to live a life uh, with tight feasts, it is not who we are. Who we are is we are supposed to be generous people because we are born into nobility. To describe someone as being generous was literally a way of saying they belong to nobility. And I pray that by the end of this year, the whole church can say we are a generous church. Why? Because we are born into nobility. All of us should walk around being generous people. Somebody say amen. amen. Generosity is about our hearts. It is about our hearts. Oftentimes, we associate generosity with money. It's partly true, but it's not primarily what that is about. It is largely about our hearts. See, friends, we don't have to be materially wealthy to be generous. And the Bible has got stories to illustrate that. Remember the five loaves and two fishes? That boy wasn't materially wealthy, but he gave away his lunch. He was a generous boy. What about the widow with two mites? And Jesus said that she gave more than anyone because she was willing to give of her best. I saw this in action when I went to my first mission trip in Cebu. And we're pl planning for mission trip this year for exposure trip for us to be exposed to uh, what God's doing around the world. Maybe in June. I'm working with Mingwei to plan that. But I experienced generosity from a group of people that didn't have much when I was 20 years old. Went to Cebu to a place uh, called Toledo. And uh, they sent us to the mountains. Really fun. I, I was 20 years old and you know, I can't see my fingers at night because it was so dark. It was pitch dark. And I stayed in the house of one of the villages. I was 20 years old and I could have slept anywhere. In the living room, which is a real small space, smaller than this stage. But my host, a couple, said, Daniel, sleep in our bedroom. And they slept in the living room. When I was 20 years old, I learned what generosity looks like. It is not giving me a room in the suite and a five-star hotel in Cebu, but to give me their bedroom. And while they sleep in the living room, that is generosity in action. And we went from house to house, and uh, when I, whenever we go into a Filipino hut built of mud, some straw as uh, their roof they would bring out their best food. And their best food wasn't great. It wasn't like Fo Tiao Chiang or uh, 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 like a, you know, a 180 days steak. You know? I mean, not the, that's, that, that's not what they can afford. But all that they can afford was a tin of sardine. That was like their one day's wage. And some Maggie Me with rice. And they would bring their best and serve us. And every single house we walk into, they would bring out their best. I saw what generosity looks like from a group of Filipinos who didn't have much, but they've learned to be generous, which is why Jesus said, 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We tend to put it the other way around. We tend to say, where my heart is, that's where my treasure is. No, it's not true. Jesus basically said that our heart follows our treasure. Our heart follows our treasure. Where we give to, where we spend our time in, that's where our heart is. Amen? Gen- I believe generosity is also a command. It's not just about our hearts. It's also a command in Scripture. Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 and 18. Paul said to Timothy, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth. Now, if you think that this is just written to some multi-billionaire or multi-millionaire, can I propose to all of us that by... The world standard, all of us in this room are rich. All of us. No time to give you all the statistics, but we are a wealthy bunch. If you can afford McDonald's, if at 13 years old you can buy a cup of Starbucks, you are rich. Because the majority of the world cannot even afford a meal a day. So we are rich. And so Paul said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So friends, there's nothing wrong for us to enjoy a good cup of coffee from your favorite cafe in Singapore. Or to get a nice pair of jeans. Nothing wrong. God provided for us for our enjoyment. But that's not, not the end of what Paul said. Paul said in the next part of the verse, command them also, what? To do good. To be rich in good deeds. To be generous and willing to share. So friends, generosity is a command. It's not a suggestion. Paul says, command them. Command who? Command. And by then, Timothy was the bishop over the church in Ephesus. He says, command your parishioners. Command the members of your church. And command the reader of the New Testament. All of us in the year 2016, command all of us to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. You see, friends, to be generous is not about a one-time offering. I'm so proud of this church that we collected 5000 for day spring on Christmas Day. That's amazing. But we have to understand that being generous is not just a one-time thing during Christmas, during Chinese New Year, which is why I struggle uh, about just going like, to give out hampers only on one day of the year. I struggle. We still did that a couple of times, but I said to myself, my wife, I said to our team, I said that it has to be more authentic. It has got to be ongoing. It has got to be sustainable. I mean, it is not a one-time offering or some big gift that one decides to give to the poor. Basically, to be generous is a way of life. Say a way of life. It's about putting our hope in God and being rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share all the time. It's a command. Amen? And generous people are open-handed, not tight-fisted. This morning, do you live a life like that? Open-handed or do you walk around with clenched fists? 
I want all of us to remember this for the rest of this year. It's the posture that you have open-fisted, open hands, or walking around tight-fisted. Because you have to understand that generous people believe that everything they have really belongs to God. They believe that they are simply stewards of God's stuff. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 to verse 11. I love these verses. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Friends, there is no doubt. If you ever doubt that whether can God provide for your needs, whether, whether God wants to bless you, whether God has got the ability to give you promotion, to give you an increment this year, or to help you have abundance in your life, don't doubt that. Paul says, God is able to bless you abundantly. I mean, it, it is not a matter of whether is God able, does He have got the ability. He is able to bless you more than what you ask or think, so that in all things at all times, Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What exactly is Paul saying? He says, yes, God is able to bless you. The increment that you're looking for, the promotion you are praying for, you will get it. If you ask in faith, it will be yours. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you even half of His kingdom. What more about you know, your promotion or a good school or, a good, or good grades or you know, going you know, to have a great career? Come on, God is able, but... What do you do with the abundant blessings? Bible says, so that in all things, at all times, I love the word all, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What's the purpose of the provision? What's the reason for the blessings? I know it's a cliche, but we are blessed to be, come on, a blessing. In all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The, the word abound means extra, all right? Doing a lot more. Abound in every good work. Next verse, please. Verse 9. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Generous people freely scatter their gifts. Do you see that? Open hands, all right? Uh, we'll read more in the, in the next verse. Now... Who is the he here? God, all right. Who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now, friends, what does God supply us? He's able to bless us abundantly. In what areas? I believe God, every month when you receive your paycheck or when you, uh, you know, make your sale and so forth, basically, it, what comes to you, two things. Seeds and bread, right? Bread is what you need to survive. So with the bread, you buy grocery for the family. With the bread, you pay for your gasoline. With the bread, you uh, send your kids to school. With your bread, you pay for your utility bills. That's bread. But then you've got seeds. You're not supposed to Keep those seeds, you're supposed to scatter them freely, open-handed, all right? God supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Next verse, please. 
And it says, and you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Amen. Generous people are open-handed, not tight-fisted. As a church this morning, are we open-handed? Are we generous? Are we scattering our seeds freely? Are we sowing whatever God has entrusted to us? Because generous people scatter the seeds that God has given them freely and liberally. I believe they live out of the extreme attitude that whatever is my God is yours and you can have them. You can have them. I want to share with you very briefly on, on five principles for generous li- living in 21.6. Using Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 10 as our text. Let's learn five principles for intentional generosity. I said open-handed scattering seeds, and I pray that in 21.6, all of us will be scattering seeds and expecting a harvest of righteousness. And these five principles, I believe, point the way to true spiritual prosperity. Amen? Who wants to be prosperous? I want to be prosperous. And it's not just money in the bank. I want money in the bank, but it's more than that. It's prosperity in our home, in our family, in our health, in every area of the world. So there are five principles from this text. Let's read the, the whole passage first. All right, five principles. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Next verse, let us not become weary in doing good. It's right there. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's unpack this passage and let's learn five principles. Principle number one, the Bible tells us we reap only what we sow. We reap only what we sow. Paul said, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. Now, this this principle is easy to understand. There are just two parts to it. Firstly, if you want to reap, you must sow. Hello? Is that common sense? If if you don't sow, you won't reap. If you don't plant the seed and water it, there will be no plant. Amen? So you must sow for you to reap. You can think about it, pray about it, imagine it, visualize it, declare it, confess it. But if you don't, so you wouldn't reap. You can speak to that very fertile plot of ground and declare, plants come forth. There will be no plant, there will be no germination, there will be no fruit if you don't sow. So you have to sow a seed before you can reap a harvest. But also, this point tells us that you reap after its kind. We reap only what we sow. So if you plant apple seeds, you get an apple tree. And what grows on the tree will not be durian. As much as you love D24, as much as you enjoy Mao San Wang, if you plant an apple seed, you will not get a durian tree. Wow, this is like deep theology this morning. This is super deep, man. But if you plant an apple seed, you get an apple tree. Amen? You can't plant carrots and expect to harvest corn. 
You can't plant wheat and expect to harvest rice. You reap only what you sow. And that's true in the spiritual realm as well. It's true. This principle applies to every area of our lives, not just our finances, but whatever you sow in life, you're going to reap. Whatever you deposit is going to be returned to you. If you sow criticism, you will reap. Wow. This is simple science. If you sow criticism, you will reap. Help me preach. Come on, guys. Criticism. Amen. If you sow complain, you will reap more complaints. If you sow kindness, you will reap kindness. If you sow into the spirit, into your spiritual life, you will reap a rich and abundant spiritual life. Are you with me? If you sow generosity, you will reap generosity. This is not rocket science. You will only reap what you sow. So if there is no harvest, if you're you're saying to yourself in 21.5, I've not grown spiritually. Don't look at the fruit. Don't don't think, well, how come I've gone? You know, I've not been growing. Is it the pastor's fault? Is it my cell group's fault? Is it the Bible's fault? Is it the Holy Spirit's fault? You've not been teaching me. Friends, don't. Finger point, ask yourself, have you been sowing spiritually into your own growth? Because if you have sown, you will reap. This is a kingdom principle. Are you with me? If you have got no friends in 21.5, don't blame the people around you and say, wow, this church is not friendly or my school friends are not friendly. Imagine, if, if, it's, if everyone is not friendly, then maybe the problem isn't with everyone. The problem is really with... true. Start sowing some friendliness and you will get friendliness. If you're always sitting there in the seat on Sunday and saying, this church, no one cares. This church, no one cares. This church, you know, it's just indifferent. But why are people feeling, wow, this is like the most amazing, caring bunch of people. Come on, sow some friendliness and you will get some friendliness back. Amen. Principle number two. We're always sowing seeds. This is a revelation. Huh? We're always sowing seeds, consciously or unconsciously. Always sowing seeds. Now you may say, but Daniel, I thought you say that if we don't sow, no, we're always sowing seeds. That's the next part of the verse, which says, the man who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. I want all of us to picture, to picture two large bags of seeds. One is called the flesh, one is called the Spirit. We're always sowing. By what we do or don't do, we are sowing. If you're always putting, if you're always giving everyone a cold shoulder, you are sowing seeds. You might not be talking, you might not, uh, you, you might not be uh, saying anything, or you might not, but you are sowing seeds. You are just saying, don't, by, 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 by giving some of the culture, you are saying, don't talk, don't talk to me. You're always sowing seeds. Every day we have hundreds of choices to, to sow them, of chances to sow them. 
I think in everything that we do or don't do, it's either sowing fleshly seeds or sowing good seeds. There is no neutral. There is no third alternative. Every word we speak, every step we take, every conversation, even the finest, tiniest decision leads us in one direction or the other. It's either spirit or flesh. We're always sowing. It's true in the marriage. If you don't give time to your spouse, you are sowing a bad seed. Or if you're always arguing with your spouse, if you're always upset with your spouse, you're sowing a bad seed. If you're irritated whenever you know, something's wrong in the house, you're sowing a bad seed. You're sowing into the atmosphere every single day. You're sowing into your marriage. You're sowing into your career every single day. You know, if, you, if you go to work late, come back uh, and leave work early, you, you, you take extra uh, hour for lunch, you're sowing a bad seed. Amen. If you are not paying attention to your spiritual life, you are laser fair, easy, just go through it, whatever will be, will be, you are sowing a bad seed. You won't reap a good harvest, you will reap a bad one at the end of the year. But we are always sowing seeds consciously or unconsciously. Are you with me? Always. Even this morning. We're always sowing seeds. We can either, as we worship God, sow in the atmosphere with our voices singing to the Lord praise. It's not about your posture, your action, but it's about you worshiping Him spirit, soul, and body. And, and as you do that, you are sowing seeds into the spiritual environment, the atmosphere of this church. Or if you fold your arm and, you're in, and you are indifferent and you are angry, upset, you think that the whole world owes you a big debt, then you are sowing a seed also. You are sowing strife and you are sowing you know, this sense of indifference, no expectation into the atmosphere. We are always sowing seeds. Somebody say, Amen. The third principle is we reap far more than we sow. We reap far more than we sow. From, from the same verses, when you, when you plant a seed, do you expect just one fruit? When you plant an apple seed, in that seed is a whole orchard, really. Right? So when you plant a seed, you will get a tree, and on that tree, there will be many fruits. Whether it's an apple seed, apple tree with many apple fruits, when you plant a seed, you will have Many fruits. So which means we reap far more than we sow. It's true in the spiritual. It's true in the natural. It is true when you sow a good seed. It's also true when you sow a bad seed. You see, the size of the seed does not determine the size of the harvest. An acorn is a tiny thing. It contains within itself a mighty towering oak tree. A pumpkin seed is small compared with the massive pumpkin it produces. So the size of the seed does not determine the size of the harvest. Amen. We reap what we sow. We are always sowing and we will reap far more than what we sow. And this is good news, but it's also bad news. Because if you sow the right seed, you will reap a bountiful, godly harvest of righteousness. If you sow a bad seed, the contrary is true. Contrary is true. If you're always negative, you will reap negativity, but not just one fruit, but 
you will see negativity all around you, from your children to your work to... When you sow gossip, you will reap gossips about your life. Not just at home, but also at work. And you start, and, and you're wondering, God, what's wrong? Don't look at the harvest, focus on the seed. But the good news is, whenever you have a need, you can sow a seed. Let, let me explain. I love this point. Uh. What, if you realize that there's a lack in your life, all right, so whether you, know, you want to improve your married life, for example, all right, you realize that there is problem, that you know, there is no more love and romance, and there's, you know, we are always striving. Don't, don't fight. All right, of course, you, you can look for help, come and speak to me, or, but I'll tell you, sow a seed. If you see a need, sow a seed. So if there's no more love in the marriage, Sow a seed of love. Alright, start loving your spouse a little bit more. Do something extra. Pay attention to her. Give some you know, room for him to pour out his heart. I mean, just start sowing a seed. Start sowing. Because I tell you, every seed that you sow will reap a harvest. There will be a multiplication. If you want to see your child... You know, life turning towards God and having an, an awakening in his spiritual life. Sow a seed. Do you know, seed is not like, well, I must plan 365 days of Bible study. You know, what, my point is this. The size of the seed doesn't determine the size of the harvest. Right? Which means that all you need to do is to sow a small seed. For example, every single day, just talk to your son and say, uh, you know, I just read the Bible today and you know, I learned this one simple principle. Okay, once a week. You are sowing. It's a small seed. But a small seed wouldn't remain small because it will germinate in a good heart. It will start to produce and you have a big harvest. Likewise, in the marriage, if you see that there, that, that there is a problem, that you're in trouble, don't be too concerned. Don't say, wow, I, I must have like, take one year off from work, focus on my wife and you know, take her out. and we no. Sow a small seed. A small seed could look like a note a week to improve the marriage. A small seed. If your career is in crisis, sow a small seed. You get my point. We reap far more than we sow. Whenever you have a need, plant a seed. See, when a farmer looks at his barren fields, he doesn't really gripe about it. He just goes out and starts planting some seeds. If only he has got a little bit of seed, he has, he has a choice. He can either hoard those seeds and say, wow, these are all my seeds left and I must keep it, make sure that I, I don't lose them. Or he can start scattering and give the seeds away. If he holds on to it, that's all he got. But if he gives the seed away, God will multiply it. If you're in a financial crisis, start sowing. You can either say, oh yeah, I've left with $100 in the bank. I better stinge. Or you can give $10 to the Lord and $10 to bless someone who's in a deeper need. I tell you, friends, God will multiply the $10. And the same principle, uh, the same principle applies across your life. Of course, the most tangible to us is our finances, but... Our time. If you've got no more time, don't make the wrong mistake of, you know, you, I, I'll stop ser- serving God. That's what a lot of people 
do when they say, "Wow, well, God, I've got no more time. I, you know, I, I've got a family now. I've got, you know, I've got a career now. I've uh, got a, 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 a husband now." And they say, "Okay, God, I've got no more time for you." And you stop sowing in sacrificial service to the Lord, and guess what? You don't reap spiritually. Put God first. Give Him the first part of your day. Say, God, I need you to speak to me. There's, uh, there's so many things I need to do that I can't afford not to consult you in the morning. Hello? There's so much things I need to do that I can't afford not seeking you in the morning. I need to sow my first minutes, my first hour of the day so you can give me back the time that I need. Because when you sow time, you reap time from God. Simple truth. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I want to just... Quick, I want to have a side note here, and that is if you ever feel pressurized to give in this church, don't give. You've got permission from me. If you ever feel like Daniel is pressurizing you to give, don't give. Because you don't get any credit from that kind of gift. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. You must give cheerfully. Principle number four. All right? Are you still with me? Harvesting requires patience and persistence. Harvesting requires patience and persistence. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for in the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, harvesting takes time. Some sow, some water, God gives the increase. Full-time farming is a year-round task. You start early in the morning, you work till late, 52 weeks a year, there is no end of the jobs to be done. And friends, you don't get a harvest by accident. You get a harvest by faithfully and constantly watering the seed. What's my point? I learned this from the marriage class. It's really amazing. I've never seen this before. But a lot of us, we want to see our marriage change and we sow a seed and we expect our spouse to ta-da! be transformed into a totally different person the next week. It doesn't work like that! Some of us make the mistake of always going to dig up the seed to find out if the seed is growing. You're killing it! That's not how you plant a tree. Don't revisit the seed, keep digging up. All you need to do is you trust the law of nature, right? You plant the seed and let the seed germinate. It seems like nothing is happening, but can I assure you, the Bible says as long as the world remains, there will always be seed time and harvest, which means that this spiritual law of sowing and reaping is like the law of gravity. If right now I go up to level 9, there's no level 9 here, but if there is a level 9, and I dive headlong, guess what? I would float, I will hit straight to the ground and have a splat and probably dies. Unless Andre is downstairs to, you know, just start 
doing his qigong, but otherwise, I will probably split on the ground. It's the law of gravity. Likewise, the, the law of seed time and harvest is true. Plant the seed, be patient. Say patience. Do you know what's the most difficult lesson to learn in life? Patience. It's like the man who goes to God, you've heard this, and says, God, I need patience, and I need patience now. It doesn't work like that. So if you want to see your spouse's life change, sow a seed. Keep on sowing. Water the seed. Water the seed. And before you know it, Starts to change. If you want to see your school save young people, don't say, Why oh, so one week? How come no harvest? I keep inviting my friends, no one comes. Friends, keep on sowing, keep on watering. Before you know it, there'll be a harvest of souls from your schools. Same for any ministry. If you really feel God calling you to whether it's the prayer ministry, whether it's to serving ministry. Sow a seed and water it and water it. Because we may think that it happens suddenly, but no, you have been faithfully watering it. And God sees your persistence and you will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest. It's, it's true. When I was growing up, I grew up in a church, an amazing church. And for the first 10 years, we wondered, we did everything right. We did everything right. We're praying in the morning. Pastor is an amazing preacher. The band was really amazing. And we thought to ourselves, look around. Well, how come every other church springing up, springing up, but our church isn't growing as fast? And every Sunday for 10 years, we'll be praying, God, remember us. God, remember us. Do you know after 25 years, Cornerstone now is an amazing, sizable church because the people simply keep sowing and watering and God gives the increase. And churches that want to you know, stimulate the growth and use a lot of man-made fertilizers, guess what? It springs up and then it doesn't work. Amen. It's a bit like your body, right? You can either take a lot of protein and start working out and overnight, bam, you have all the muscles. But friends, it's, it's all artificial. The real thing is you eat healthy and you start working out and before you know it, over time, the muscles start to develop. I believe this is the resolution for most men here that I'll have some muscles by the end of 2016. We make that, resu- that resolution every 1st of January. For me, it hasn't worked yet. So this year, I said to myself, I will make that resolution. But, the f- but it's true. If you want to improve your health, sow good seeds and be persistent. You know, don't say, well, how come when I've been taking this, uh, you know, changing my diet and you know, sleeping earlier, my health isn't still... The body takes time to reset itself. But before you know it, if you persistently and faithfully sow and water, your health will be restored. If you're far away from God this morning, same thing. Start sowing good seeds and persevere through. You said, Daniel, I don't feel God is so close to me. I I feel like uh, He's so far. Start sowing seeds and say, God, I'll, 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 I'll spend two minutes. I'll read five verses. Start sowing small, small seeds. But God, I still don't feel you. Keep on doing it. 
Because before you know it, bam, he walks into the room and Tana, I'm Jesus Christ, touch you and you begin a ministry. I mean, friends, we think it is the sudden lease, but before the sudden lease, there's this persistence in seeking, right? The Lord whom you seek and the word is present continuous tense, which means if you seek and keep on seeking, will suddenly come. Friends, we like the suddenly part, but continuously, consistently seeking. Cause and effect. Are you with me? This is true in the spiritual realm because we live in a fallen world and we deal constantly with fallen people. It's easy to grow weary. It's easy to give up. But the Bible says, if we don't give up, we will reap. Let's, let's make a decision. Friends, life sometimes is hard. When you wake up in the morning, you still have got a terrible boss. Alright, you can go to work, complain all you want about your boss, or you start changing the way you speak about your boss, and you become a Bible-believing believer, and start declaring the goodness of the Lord over your bosses. And he will still score you, he will still have all the four-letter words at you, but before you know it, bam, things turn around. Life is hard. Deal with it and keep on doing good. Love them anyway. Especially if you're in pastoral ministry. Shakara Bahandai. I mean, it is true. All the good that you do, people will only look at the bad. All the efforts you put in, you have not been doing this enough. Parenting is the same. Parents, I'm one. When the kids are trying, you always look at, oh, but you've not been doing this. But you've not been... Stop all the buts. But people are, tend, are, are usually like that. Forget it. Love them anyway. Amen? Things may not go as planned. Friends, you can either stop there and cry or keep on going forward. People forget to say thank you. It doesn't matter. Help them. Your prayers may not be answered tomorrow. Doesn't matter. Keep on praying. You may be scared and you may be fearful. It's really okay. Keep on trusting. Keep on believing God. Keep on declaring. Your friends may criticize you. But you keep your hearts pure and you do right anyway. You feel like quitting? It's always too soon to quit. Because at the proper time, and no one knows what the proper time is, but at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. And friends, this is true in life. It's true in my life. In high, on high side, you, things all look very, very clear on high side. But when Christine was going through her challenging teenage years, I believe she has gone through it, heard some stories. Parents are pastors. I don't think that the, the dad ever gave up and said, oh, yeah, Christine, that's it. Like, I failed to train her in the way of the Lord when she was young, so now she's departing from it. Goodbye, Christine. No! They keep on praying, keep on trusting the pastors all surround her. Kentio picks her up for cell group. I mean, and now here she is, an anointed worship leader. Ken didn't think that she would ever stand behind a stage to lead worship when she was wayward in her ways, colorful hair, and looking a little bit unusual. When my brother was growing up, never have I thought that he would ever become a prayer leader standing on the world stage and praying. I mean, I've never thought that would happen. When he was lying down there, watching TV, going out, play soccer. That's what the Bible says. Let's not grow weary of doing good. 
for a proper time, you will surely reap the harvest. And I think I'm reaping the harvest now. <laughs> I can tell you story after story. I believe when Christine first met Andre, he's a wonderful man, but he, he, Christine has never seen, has never imagined that Andre would one day be teaching and preaching. Who would have imagined? It's true. I was 17 years old. Hormones are raging. Imbalance in my thinking. I was upset with the world. I was angry at church. I was unhappy that they didn't love me. No one cares for me. I sit there. No one come and talk to me. I, I mean, typically like how some of us are and or, or were, were like when we were growing up. We wait for the world to come and love us. Why? Because hormones raging, imbalanced, emotional, temperamental. No one cares. God is good, but people are not. I mean, you, you just start. <laughs> and to make matter worse, you heard my story that threw me to an adult cell group when I was 17. I said, that's it, God. I'm forgotten. I'm like Moses in the backside of the desert. I'll, all, I'll always be with sheep. I mean, that's my thinking. And then I didn't score well for my, for my O-levels. I thought I'll, you know, I'm, I'm supposedly a gifted student, but I didn't do well for my O-levels. I couldn't go to the RJ or the TJ or went to poly. It's the best thing that happened to me because when I was in, when I was in that six months, now no more six months, but in those days, six months where you've got no school, I found a job. I was so far away from God. No one loves, no one cares for me. I found, job, I found a job as a part-time retail person in a Christian bookstore. That, yes, there was a Christian bookstore before there was Kindle Christian e-bookstore, right? There was a Christian bookstore and it was a popular bookstore. I've met all the who's who today of the very big churches in that bookstore. I've met them. They come and buy books, Kenneth Hagen's books, Copeland's books. I, you know, they come and buy books. I recommended them some books which they have used in their sermons. So praise God that I've sown some good seeds. But the point is, I, I, I was so far away from the Lord. And there I was with a Malaysian manager. I still remember her name. I'll never forget her. Her name is Kim. Never forget her. She's an intercessor. So she was the first intercessor I met. I was such an excellent worker that I was put in charge of the whole store uh, before I knew it. All right, so I'll be there vacuuming and Kim would trust me with the store and she would be in the room. Now, she was staying in the back room. She's from Malaysia. So without spending extra money, she's got a bedroom and she was in the bedroom and there she, she was praying and she'll be crying. I said, wow, Kim, I've never seen intercession like that. And also, and she will walk out, Daniel, is it, is it okay? Her eyes were like swollen. I said, Kim, what have you been doing? I've been praying for Malaysia. She goes back and she starts praying, crying for Malaysia. Oh, I've been praying for this pastor. I mean, I was 17 years old. That left an impression, but that's not what changed me. See, I, I hated church, right? No one loved me. What pushed me into a, an, an adult cell group? I was 17. I'm not going. I said, I'll rebel against the leaders. You want me to be rebellious? I'll show you what rebellion looks like. That's what I did. Sounds familiar, some of you? And there I was, and Kim found out before long that I've got cell group on Saturday. She found out. I didn't know how. Intercession, maybe. <laughs> I mean, she found out. 
So she would come out and say, Daniel, I thought you have got sale on Saturday. I says, yeah, but I'm not going. Very busy in the store. See, these are all like customers are coming. They need me to introduce them books. I can help you grow the sales. I mean, I, 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 I didn't want to go. And she, she, she says, no, Daniel, go. But I, I've got no money. She gave me $10. In those days, you can still take taxi with $10 right, to and fro. He, she gave me $10 to go and come back. For a few weeks. I mean, she's persistent. She kept sewing, kept watering, and I reluctantly left the store and went for cell group. And there I was for my arms. No one loved me, no one cares for me. But I'm thankful for my cell who came and embraced me and brought me into the cell. I was the youngest, and before you know it, here I am. Does Kim know that you know, one day I'll be a pastor of a church, I'll be doing what I'm doing? I don't think so. But she sold. She water. She persisted. Amen. Harvesting requires patience and persistence. Coming to a close soon, but I'll tell you one more story. I've heard you've heard this story, but I think it's worth repeating it. I didn't know that I was sowing a good seed when I met Austin. In Starbucks. I love this story because it's not how great Daniel is, but I realized that it's the power of sowing a seed and it ties to my next point, my final point. I didn't know. He came, he was uh, from Changkat Changi Secondary School and he came for our camp and he was powerfully touched on the floor, crying, shaking and uh, on fire, I'll serve God. Of course, like all teenagers, SEC2 uh, came, went back to school. Before I knew it, eh? I, don't, I, I didn't see Austin. And the youth group then was very, very small. So all of us were involved in following up. And I said, Austin, can I come and see you? I can't remember what I did. Was it text or I can't remember pager. <laughs> I can't remember. It was many years ago. And he says, okay. So we met at East Point, Starbucks. Walked into Starbucks, bought him a drink, sat there, and I tried to counsel him. I was the man of God, youth pastor of the year. I mean, I was just there trying to encourage him, but there was no form. I didn't sense any anointing. I was fumbling in my words. I was trying to discern from the Lord, give him a prophecy, being you know, the inspiring leader. There was none. All I did was I bought him a drink, sent him home. Lo and behold, he started coming back and has been coming back since then. When we were leaving to plan this church, Austin came up to me and wrote me a card. This was six, seven years later. I opened the card and I was very moved because Austin wrote that up to that point in his life, no one has ever bought him a Starbucks. First cup of Starbucks was bought by Daniel. Whoa. And I gave him a ride home and I thought, that's, a small, that's not a big deal. It's a small seed, but that small seed is going to a big harvest. He has just moved on from youth ministry, going to a young adult cell I heard in Cornerstone. And, you know, he's doing well. He's going like he, he I don't know what job he's, he's in, but I'm so proud of this man. But would I, would I have known when I met him for Starbucks, there was no form and I didn't know. I didn't know. 
All my friends led me to the Lord, then I was anti-Christian. There in that upper room in the chalet, when they spoke to me about Jesus, would they have known that I'll be influencing lives and pastoring a church? Then they did not know. All they did was they were like the generous man who sows freely. Not just money, sharing the faith, spending time. So my final point is this, we must seize every opportunity to sow good seeds. We must, say must. We must seize every opportunity to, to sow good seeds. And the verse says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The word opportunity comes from the Greek word kairos, and we all know this word pretty well, which refers to that moment in time. And there's always a moment in time every single day where we can do good to all people. We must seize these moments because no door stays open forever. Opportunities come and go. If I've missed that opportunity with Austin, I might have lost him. I have to seize it. A sculptor once showed his studio to a friend who spotted a very strange statue. It was the figure of a man with hair completely covered, uh, covering his face and wings on each foot. Picture it. A statue with hair completely covering the face and wings on each foot. So the friend asked, what's the name of this statue? And the sculptor said, his name is Opportunity. Why is his face hidden, the friend asked? Because men seldom know when he comes to them. And why are there wings on his feet? Because he's soon gone, and when he departs, he cannot be overtaken. We must seize every opportunity. Do you know, friends, that every Sunday, there are opportunities for us to do good. What breaks my heart is when people come up to me and say, I've been in this seat for months, and no one walk up to me and say hi, except you. I said to myself, let's all do it. We can all be friendly. We can all, it doesn't take a lot. It's a simple seat, a small seat, and say, how are you? I love it. I overheard a conversation because there's one of the guests here who visited Mel's previous church years ago. And I, I overheard that the gentleman said to Melina that her mother was the first person to welcome him. Years ago, I said to myself, wow, you still remember? Of course, it's a seed. Do you know how I ended up in Cornerstone? I was from an Anglican church, very conservative, didn't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and uh, visited one of the cells near the school, was led by Pastor Rupert Lim. But he wasn't the reason why I ended up in Cornerstone. He was my teacher who happens to be Pastor Yang's wife now, or then also was the wife. But uh, I was walking up the steps and uh, <laughs> I bumped into Daphne. And of course, I called Mrs. Yang then. She was my geography teacher. And I was like proudly saying, Mrs. Yang, I visited one of the cells in your church. So she looked at me and she says, why don't you come on Sunday? Why did I remember 30 years, 32 years ago, but I still remember Why? 22 years ago, excuse me. I still remember. 
Because these were seeds, and if she hasn't invited me, and, if I, and she's the pastor's wife, I might not have visited, but because of that encouragement, there I was. And God touched me, baptized me in the Holy Spirit on the first Sunday. Will I ever forget? Never forget. The person who told me about Jesus, will I ever forget? I'll never forget. Never forget. So on Sunday, we have an opportunity. The Bible says that let us do good to all people. That's really amazing, right? We owe the world a debt, whether it's the Arabs or the Filipinos. But to rephrase what Paul was trying to tell us, he says, yeah, we owe the world a debt, but let's start here. Let's start where we are, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Our calling is to do good to all people. Paul said, I'm a debtor to all men. But he says, let's start where we are, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Start where you are. Start with the needs that you see around you. There are needs in this household. There are, there are needs. We need people to usher. We need people to, to say hi. And even if you're just there sitting, and you might say, but Daniel, I'm only here for three months. Three months, you're long enough, all right, to be a family member. If you've been receiving, if, if you've loved this church, help make this church a friendly, welcoming church. Don't wait for someone else. Start reaching out. Amen. Start asking, walk up to Andre, walk up to me, to Mingwe, and say, hey, how can I contribute to this church? How can I serve? If you play the keys, ask Christine, do you need an, ex- an extra keyboardist? Yes, no. You're out to serve. You're not out to prove yourself. And if after rehearsing or after auditioning, they said maybe you need to go for classes, then say, okay, sure. You know, but don't sit there and just be a spectator. Come on. Let us take every opportunity. But what about outside the four walls? In our family, at our workplace, the greatest good we can do for people, the gospel. The gospel. Most of you wouldn't be here if it's not for someone who shared Christ with you. Most of you would have loved the church if it's not two, three people who have made you feel welcome. Let's go beyond that. What about inspiring the family of God in loving Jesus more? What about taking every opportunity to prophesy, to pray for one another? There's no there's no junior Holy Spirit. Some of you who are fluent in the gifts of the Spirit, look around. Every Sunday said, God, is there an adult here? Is there someone that I can go and just whack them with the power of God? <laughs> God, show me. And walk up and say, can I say a prayer for? You, you don't know what the prayer might mean. Someone who walks in here might be suicidal. Your prayer might change the person's life. Someone here might be seeking God for direction. Your prayer might give them godly counsel that they need. Wow. Let us take every opportunity to sow seeds, to do good. Amen. I want to end with a story. It's a mission story. It's one of, my, it's one of the stories that haunt me. We all know of Genghis Khan, right? The biggest, widest Christian, uh, not, not, not Christian, uh, Empire, excuse me. <laughs> who stretched from China all the way to Central Europe. It's a kingdom larger even than Alexander the Great. It's huge. It's covering all of Asia, Indochina, even Eastern Europe. And of course, 
after he passed on, Kublai Khan, his grandson, took over the empire, succeeded him. And Kublai Khan had a mother who was a Christian. And Kublai ruled when the Mongol Empire had reached its, uh, uh, has, has reached its uh, a limit. So there's no way they can grow more. And it was then that he, that he knew a man named Marco Polo. So they became good friends and Marco Polo actually served Kublai Khan in his empire. And of course, he was a missionary who presented Christ and he was so moved by the message of, of the gospel that, that he said to Marco Polo, can you go back to where you come from and send a hundred missionaries? We will teach our children, we will teach the king's court and we will have a Christian empire. Of course, Marco Polo went back, spoke to the Pope then was Pope Gregory and said, send a hundred missionaries. But in those days, the, the cardinals were busy fighting and defending their position that no one went. No one went. They were more interested in building their own kingdom, building their own empire than about expanding the kingdom of God. No one went. I think that's one of the greatest missed opportunity in Christendom. Today, Mongolia is one, of, is one of the least rich nations in the world. Friends, is God redemptive? I believe so. But I think we can redeem the time. I think we can seize every moment. I think we can all live generous life every single day, living open-handed lives. I mean, we can sow a seed, expect to read. We can sow encouragement, we can sow generosity, sow kindness. We can sow friendliness as a church. We can sow the gospel in our school, and our workplace. We start sowing and let's make 21.6 the most generous year that the city has ever been. Amen. Let's make 21.6 the most generous year. I want to have a harvest of testimonies. And I wanted to share that how your act of generosity has made a difference in someone's life. And if you have been receiving, if you have been blessed by someone, let me know. Walk up to me and say, well, unbelievable. So and so after six months, you know, I'm, come and tell me stories. I want to know stories. Amen? Amen? Let's all stand to our feet. This is my heart for this church. God is able to bless us abundantly so that in all things and all times, we will abound and we'll do good. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's uh, end with, with a time of just responding to the Lord and say, God, I'll give myself to you this year, God, to be a conduit, to be a channel of your blessings. God, you have blessed me in 21.5. God, I will be a blessing. Lord, I have more than enough. God, I will give the rest away. Thank you, Lord. Let's all sing a song. Let the king